is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Ah, good Tuesday. Another Jay and Keith podcast. We'll be talking all things ETSU, a little football, uh-huh. a little basketball. Uh-huh. Maybe briefly, see if you need a moment about men's soccer. What was a just a crushing, bitter end to the season? I to the Mercer Bears, who I don't like in soccer. Listen, or any sport. Listen, here's here's my deal with with men's soccer. Um, I generally want to get along with as many people in the SoCon as possible. Not everybody, not all the time, but generally. I want to get along with as many people in the SoCon as possible. I know that's not really your MO. You like to just throw the haterade. You you have a big tank full of the big bright orange tank full of haterade sitting behind your desk every morning. Um, I try to get along with as many people as I can. I'm not always good at it. I do not always do it, but I make a good faith effort. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut about the way the last ten minutes of regulation transpired in that game and just say I'm extremely proud of the effort that ETSU put on the field this year, especially in the second half of the season when things were not going the way they wanted them to. They gritted their teeth, and they put their heads down, and they worked even harder. And extremely proud of David Lilly, Kyle Finley, Serge Gomez, uh, and that entire ETSU staff and players uh, group that won a regular season title for the first time in six years. It's also the 10th time in the last 11 seasons that the regular season champion has not won the SoCon Men's Soccer Tournament. So maybe next time, let's finish second. Yeah, you know, there's always a positive there. <laughs> it was an unbelievable year that, you know, you thought ETSU had a shot if things kind of came together. And the way they started to play early, you're like, ooh, okay, it's going to be really good. Then they hit a spurt where it's like, hey, maybe not, or they're going to be middle of the pack. And then all of a sudden, they hit a stride where they were unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, with some things that they haven't done before. And sometimes it's about matchups, right? We talk about this, and people hate. Sometimes when I say things, and they'll just send me direct messages, I hate you talking about it. But it is. It's about matchups. Some teams match up better against other teams for whatever reason in different sports. And for whatever, ASON, SOCON, when Mercer and ETSU get together in the postseason, especially men's soccer, if it goes to penalties, it has not been a favorable matchup for ETSU. That being said, what an unbelievable year. I thought, um, you know, watching Cole Hunter again this year was incredible. He um, is – and I told him this after the game because Cole was just uh, – Devastated. Was, he was overcome with emotion and just sitting in the goal thinking about the end. Um and I walked up to him and I told him that I was really proud of him. And I had been watching ETSU soccer pretty much since it was born. And he is one of the best that has ever put on that uniform. And he should be extremely proud of what he's done. Two-time goalkeeper of the year. The SOCON instituted that award in 2014, I believe. And there have been three different repeat winners. And two of them are ETSU keepers. Johnny Sutherland and um, Cole Hunter. And I believe, I haven't checked this yet, but uh, I believe Cole is going to go down as the uh, all-time career leader in goals against average. He might go down as the all-time career leader in save percentage as well. 
uh, just a spectacular goalkeeper, a spectacular individual, and a great ambassador for this university. And I do think the Bucks will be back. Uh, they have a couple players that I, I don't know if I'm at liberty to talk about their status for next year because they were honored at senior night, uh, but they might be coming back. One is definitely coming back. One, I think, is thinking about it. Um, but if those guys come back, then I think ETSU is a contender again in 2024. And, and really, there are, going into next year, probably five of the six teams in the SOCON feel like they have a shot to win the thing. That's going to be that competitive in 2024. It's really just a great time, I think, for the league because UNCG is going to be back. A lot of the, They had a lot of young guys this year that learned a lot the hard way. Mercer had some really talented young guys, and they've still got some good veterans in their core that are coming back. So that team's going to be good again. Furman is usually pretty good. Um, and Wofford's going to have the most dangerous man or one of the most dangerous men in the conference in Nikolai Ruel at the top of the formation. And I have to imagine this offseason they're going to get him some help. So I expect Wofford to get reinforcements for their, their high-end striker, and that's going to be a really good team. Again, five of the six teams have a chance to win this thing next year. Pretty much everybody has a VMI every year, it feels yeah. like. That's one of those things. And VMI has – VMI starting to get there, right? Like they're starting to get a couple of pieces here and there. It's just a matter of can you hang on to everybody and can you get everybody that you need there at roughly the same time to compete. That's the challenge. And that is not an easy thing to do in Lexington. But um, that is a program that is not – quite the, you know, it's not the 6-0, 7-0 walkover that a lot of people want to believe it is when they think of VMI soccer. That's all I got. So, on no, that. I know. I'm just, just, I, I, uh, I know there's, there's, well, there's a lot to, to process with that. But an extremely good year uh, out at Summers-Taylor Stadium for ETSU, uh, men's and women's side. David Lilly and Jay Yelton leading unbelievable programs. You know, signing day is tomorrow. Um, lose tomorrow. It's tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, but either way, signing day is going to be very fruitful, I think, for one or both of those teams. I know women's soccer is very excited about their signing class, and um, that is a group that's got a, a really bright future uh, at, at ETSU. I think both of those do. Um, one thing we did want to talk about uh, before we get too far into the pod is um, on Monday, uh, early in the morning, we got word that ETSU football, former ETSU football head coach, Carl Torbush, who undersaw, unders, uh, oversaw the revival in uh, 2015 and beyond, uh, passed away on Monday morning. And devastated by the news, um, and it kind of just caught me at, a, at, a, at an odd time, setting up for, for George Quarles' press conference, and uh, Kevin Brown got the phone call, and I actually learned that way. Uh, overhearing his end of that conversation while he was standing there with me. But um, I met Carl a couple of times during his run as the head coach and just not not just, I mean, a great football coach, an accomplished football coach, been a lot of different places, have been with Texas A&M and North Carolina and all over the country, but also just a really nice guy. He'd, just, he'd, he'd stand there and talk with you for a while. Just good old, you know, good old Southern conversationalist. Um, and he and I met in the hallway shortly after he had gotten the job out here in, in the mini dome. I was a student coming back to town to visit some friends for a little bit. And he was getting ready to throw out the first pitch at a Johnson City Cardinals game. And uh, 
was just super excited to meet him. I think I had my Appalachian League championship ring on, and uh, we, we talked about baseball for a little bit. And just the, and, and he was playing adult league baseball well into his 60s. Was a catcher. Yeah, that's well the impressive into his part. 60s. Um, and just you know, a guy that was um, you know incredible athlete. And, and love sports and, and really love football and, and love DTSU um, because with he without him, I mean the groundwork is not laid for what came after in, in the last four or five years. So uh, extremely grateful to Carl and and all the best to, to his family as uh, they grieve his passing. Yeah, his wife Janet had kind of kept us in, in the loop a little bit in the department that you know last four or five six months or so you know kind of his health had taken a turn and. You know, it was, it was getting a little worse and worse. And then, obviously, we we knew he was not in good good shape. But certainly, anytime you get the the news that, that he had passed. And if you look at the outpour, I think, of social media from coaches to players and not just former players and coaches at ETSU, but kind of across college football, it shows you how much respect that folks had for Carl Torbush. You know, he was asked to – to do something, you know, to start from scratch and to do it, you know, a, a certain way, and he did that. And I think we got it to a point where he recognized himself and said, "Hey, for this thing to go to the next level, we need somebody else. You know, I'm probably not the guy. I got us to here, but somebody needs to take the ball and run with it." And then enter obviously Randy Sanders. He won a couple championships, but it was all because of that. The stadium you play in, uh, the, the team now, the William B. Green Jr. Stadium. Certainly, you know, with Carl, you know, maybe not fundraising per se is going out there, but him leading that team to go into that facility. For sure. In which we had, you know, what, a top five, six crowd or whatever it was, even last Saturday. So a lot of things about Carl. My favorite really thing about Carl was he was the, the consummate coach where he didn't know anybody's name. Not that he didn't know who they were. <laughs> But he didn't know how to say it or he didn't know what they were or, or it was a different first name with a different last name. Um, Austin Herrick's name changed routinely. Um, I think he finally said it on Heinrich. Heinrich? Which Henrik? Was, which was – Herring? Oh, my God. It was yeah. one of my favorite things. Now, again, he knew you were talking about. He knew everything you were talking about. And he knew everybody's high school coach of, of whatever. I mean, that was yeah. a fun game. He, you know – Jay, where where'd you go to? I was Eastern in high school. Oh, that's over North Carolina. Yeah, uh, did you play for for Carl or, or Dean? Or you know, he's rattling off. I so I played for Carl. Oh my God! You know, and he you know, <laughs> did you play for? Did you, who'd you play against? And I told everybody in the league, and he's rattling off every coach that coached them. And so it was, he was amazing. That's what's funny. And of course, a couple of those names he butchered too. But in the same token, like he knew everything and knew everybody and had a memory for that. And was in tremendous shape. I mean. You would see him outside the dome, you know, getting four- and five-mile runs in. And you already mentioned he played catcher into the 60s, loved the game of baseball, uh, maybe even more than he did football. Uh, just, uh, you know, his career kind of took him down that path. But certainly, you know, he loved football. And there was nobody more excited. I know his health, and a lot of people ask that. I would be a perfect time to have Carl Torbush back. We couldn't talk about it, but Carl's health wasn't great. And that was one of the reasons, you know, we didn't roll him out there because – that would have been spectacular. There's a guy who played two sports, football and baseball, Carson Newman, and, of course, what he did for ETSU football. So certainly a, a sad day um, for ETSU uh, athletics, um, you know, really the game of football. It was, it, was, it was a bad day for the game of football to lose uh, a gentleman 
uh, and you know, really, uh, you know, if you, you know, not not to talk religion, but certainly he was a religious guy, and so, you know, he's wherever he wants to be uh, now, and talked about that a, a lot, and so, um, really feel bad for Janet um, and the family there, and, and having to deal with that, um, but, you know, the good thing about Carl is, if nothing else, everybody that I ran into told a Carl story and made him smile. So if nothing else, in a day that we were sad for Carl, he still left a lasting impression with everyone smiling and thinking about him. And, and, and it wasn't even just within the game of football. I mean, Steve Forbes had something to say in his post-game press conference after last night uh, with, the, with the comeback win over Elon. He was talking about Carl Torbush in the post-game press conference, um, which I thought was really impactful because they didn't just cross paths here. They also crossed paths, I believe, Texas a and at one point. So, um, like, those are two guys that, that knew each other well, that had been in the same athletic department, that had worked together in the past uh, to try to build better athletic programs in, in College Station and then obviously in Johnson City where they both had great success. Um, but I, I think the fact that the outpouring wasn't just contained to football, it was people that Carl had met in other sports across the college landscape, across the country, uh, that really underscored how impactful his life was as a, as a, as a figure in, in, in sports and just as a figure in general in a work environment. We, we didn't have this segment, Jay Knows the English Language, uh, back then when we were doing the old game time tours and, and rolling out there. And it was myself and uh, Steve Forbes, Brittany Zell, Carl Torbush. And I'm sitting in between Brittany and, and Steve, and Carl had this thing about believe and what it stood for. Is every coach, you know, you got the acronyms that are doing off. And then all of a sudden, he's spelling it, and I'm sitting there thinking. And Brittany looks at me, and she goes, "Does he know he missed a letter?" I'm like, "Nope, he's powering through." Oh. And then I looked at her and I said, "But here's what's bad. I didn't realize he missed a letter." <laughs> so we got talking about that. So, but I mean. That's the thing. That was, uh, you know, you, you look back at it and some of the things, and, and, and yes, uh, I mean, we were doing, you know, that was back in the early days of Game Time Tour. We were doing, you know, 10, 10 11 stops and three or three stops in a day where it was breakfast and lunch. And, and so I, I think we actually had an RV then. Coach Morrow was our driver. And some of those stories, I, I was thinking about that yesterday. And each issue basketball did a, did a moment of silence and, and obviously, you, you know, trying to figure out what we can do more for the – the, the game against the Citadel on, on the gridiron to, to maybe uh, do something else. But uh, we'll be missed. And, you know, I, I told Keith we're wrapping the show. I said, we got we got to work this in some – there's no good way to work it in. Right. You, you know, it's one of those um, very sad time, the unfortunate part of life, right? We all get older. Unfortunately, our time's going to come at some point. And uh, unfortunate for Carl at 72, uh, it was Monday. And, again, his wife, Janet, who was unbelievable – um, as we used to call him, Coach Styrofoam, because uh, there's nobody that took more to-go food plates than Carl Torbush. He would say just put in some styrofoam. That was a nickname he got at uh, North Carolina. He lived up to it. There was a couple people that worked at Carolina and said, hey, you're going gonna to meet Coach Styrofoam, and he's going to ask you. And sure enough, no matter where we were, there was leftover food. He had Joanne Patey or me or Brittany or whoever go find styrofoam. Pack. I don't know what he did with all the food. The, the amount of food he took home, on just the game time towards alone would feed people for months. So I would like to know if I could spend 20 minutes to go look at all the freezers he must have to keep up with all that. Food. Well, I, I don't know. If, where you, it goes. if you saw him getting four and five mile runs, then he's probably just burning it all off. 
They could. I mean, you gotta, you, I mean to, to, do what, to do that, you got to up the calorie intake. Sure. Yeah, that's a good point. Sure. All right, well, there's no, uh, like I said, uh, no easy way to transition, but uh, Carl Torbush. Just, yeah, just, just reflect and celebrate and laugh. That's, that's how I want it done when I go. You want to talk hoops? Yeah, let's do it. talk about the tip-off between Purdue and Sanford. <laughs> so, again, we used to do fail downs on uh, uh, Santa's sidekick, and I, 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 got, I got that fail down. Somebody said to me, says, this, would this be a fail down? This would be a fail. Uh, you know what? No. I, I don't think, think it was. I said it wasn't. I, no, because they told people that that's what they were going to do. Bucky McMillan was on video telling people, hey, we're going to put the smallest guy we got on our team out there against one of the biggest players in college basketball for the opening tip. And, of course, he had no shot. But just the image, the contrast, um, I, I thought that was a, I thought that was well played by, uh, by, by Bucky and, and the Sanford crew. Um, yeah, that's, the, you know, that's an opportunity capitalized on. And now Sanford will make the rounds in memes for months. That's the thing about college sports these days. College sports is not about the X's and O's as much as we want it to be, as much as we talk about it. And it's still valuable. It's not about the X's and O's. Um, it's not about the, the wins and the losses even. It's about the memes. College athletics is about memes and being able to keep your name circulating as much as you can and keeping people entertained. And if you do that, you build brand reach as a result of it. I think Sanford probably got something out of that. It's not the Flutie effect, uh, although I guess it could be because Doug Flutie wasn't a big guy either. Uh, but you, you get a little something out of that. People are paying attention to your program now. All publicity is good publicity, right? Or was it? No, no, no. It was Oscar Wilde said the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. People are talking about Sanford today. All pub is good pub, they say. A lot of different sayings, but yes, I did not think. But plenty of people did send me that as a fell down, and I thought the same thing you did. I'm like, no, I don't. I don't think that was a fell down. Fell down would be Mercer losing at home. That's a fell down. <laughs> oh, buddy. But right, ETSU. Sorry about that, real quick. I thought again. Um, Kamari Peterson was unbelievable. Uh, starting. Kamari Peterson was great. I mean, 35 minutes of action. 15 points, six rebounds, a couple assists, three steals, a couple of rips, and, and just go straight straight to the other end of the floor, showed explosiveness. Tough kid. Uh, I, I thought one of the – besides a, a couple of rips and go the other way and, and lay it up and in and just outrun people, there was a couple times he went and created contact at just 185 pounds and was bigger and stronger, forced his way inside and got a couple of – of buckets to drop, and I thought that was impressive. I know he did knock down a three yesterday, but everything else I thought he was tremendous at. I agree. I think that that's somebody that ETSU needs at the point guard spot. It's not just somebody who's going to shoot, you know, a ton of threes. I think uh, I think he, he was, what, over – was he over three? Over three. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, just the ability to take it downhill to the rim and score, but also still um, – 
respected as a three-point threat. He will hit threes at some point this season. The shots will go in for him. But I thought uh, yeah, he, he really stood out. I'll tell you another guy that stood out. You go a little farther down the bench is Brayden Illick. Brayden Illick looks like a completely different player this season. He is attacking the rim. Uh, he's going after offensive and defensive rebounds. He's blocking shots. Uh, and, and that creates a, a, a much more difficult assignment for the, the opposing defense because now you've got this 6'9 guy that will crash the boards. 6'9 will follow guys into the post and will swat shots down, and he can shoot. He's got a little baseline. You know, he had a little baseline jumper that he knocked down. He gets some looks from three. I don't know if he made one last night, but um, he just know, took one though. He's over one. Yeah, the whole team struggled from three last night, and I think that's probably going to happen uh, at times, especially given the number of threes this team takes. There are going to be times where they just don't go in. Um, but I thought Illick looked very different, a lot more confident, and was really fun to watch. Uh, he was flying around out there trying to make things happen and get to the basketball, and um, he blocked a couple shots as well. It just I thought that was a really, really solid effort, and, and if he's going to keep doing that, there might be more minutes in his future. He stood out to me for sure. Well, certainly rebounding was a huge um, – I think in the first two games have been a, a little concerning. I've been in practice. I know they work on it. I know they do different type things, but they're yeah. going to have to figure – and sometimes you play – D2 teams, you're thinking, well, you know, they take a lot of threes, long shots, long camera. That wasn't it at all. Uh, they were, you know, King and really the, the first half UVA wise, they were just going to the rim and just, just, you know, sometimes it's about, you know, want to and who wants it more. And, and King and UVA, UVA wise first half and pretty much almost the whole game, mid second half it swung, but for 30 minutes it was King dominating the glass. King controlled the tempo of the game. ETSU could have scored 100 if they were able to control the tempo. The Kings sold out for every single offensive rebound. There were three, four guys in the paint on every single shot that King took looking for the offensive rebounds. And you see why this was a top-five offensive rebounding team in Division II last year. It's, I mean, that's not that's not in, you know, instinct of like, oh, I'm breaking the ball. That's rules and principles that, that Gillespie implements in his program is when shots go up, you go to the rim. We want offensive rebounds. We want second, third chance buckets because we can slow the other team down, one. But two, um, it becomes really good opportunities for us to score. We can dictate tempo. Uh, There's so many good things happen for you when you get to the offensive glass and have success. And King was able to do that. And and ETSU definitely needs to work on defensive rebounding in particular because I guarantee you people are going to see those clips on TeamSync over the next couple of weeks, and the Bucks are going to see that again. They might see that again on Thursday when they make the trip out to Guilford County to go to Elon. Yeah, and Elon had a pretty good showing, especially uh, early in the game. First half was really good. Second half was a disaster. Yeah, didn't didn't go well from there. But, uh, you know, ETSU's got to figure – and that was the, the, the fun – not fun part, but sitting next to the bench, right, you get access, you hear things. And it was a couple times – there was fouls. Jaden Parker picked up two fouls, and both times the response was, if you got the rebound the first time, the foul doesn't happen. And because he didn't get the rebound, he commits the foul. The other thing I thought they were working on was the same thing that was Jalen Haynes' problem last year, and I'm going to talk to, to DJ Hughes here. He would get the ball right at the rim, and his first instinct was to immediately pass it back out. 
and they're like, you're like 240 pounds, turn and score. Like, it, no matter who you're playing, yeah. if we get you a couple feet away from the hoop, buddy, that's, that's as close as we can get you guys. You got to turn and score. And eventually Jalen turned the corner, right, and became an animal down there. We're hoping DJ Hughes. And I don't know, sometimes where you play different systems, like that was the problem with Jalen Haynes because he was playing for Mike Young. And Mike Young, they want the three. So you throw it in, they it don't really – that's right. They don't want the late. So you got to figure it out. Now, I don't know what system they ran at Butler. I watched a few games here and there. But to be honest with you, I didn't pay that close of attention to it. So I, it's a, I don't know if that's a philosophy thing. He's got to get changed, not confident. Or sometimes nowadays big guys like to believe their point guards and pass. I want my big guy to catch two feet away and either try to put somebody in the basket or try to lay it up and draw a foul. One of the two. That's just me. But – I think DJ will get there because he was able to get the ball down low a couple times. I thought the set piece to start the second half, when they came out of timeouts, ETSU was able to execute. I thought there were some stretches there where instead of the ball movement, kind of just sticking in their hands and dribbling, dribbling, as opposed to moving around. Then a little bit in the first half after Ebby hit his first three, Asamoa, then all of a sudden it started to move again, then it stuck again. And in the second half, they had a couple of shots, and then you saw it getting whipped around. Uh, but, again, difference in one game, a lot of shots fell. Game two, a lot of shots didn't fall. Defensively, I thought for the most part pretty good, except for obviously the rebound. And other than that, you know, there, wasn't a, uh, there was a couple breakdowns on pick and rolls. I know Coach Jones, Brian Jones was upset about. But other than that, I didn't feel like ETSU was – that discombobulated defensively, didn't look the same offensively, a lot of that because they didn't hit a lot of shots, and then giving up uh, the second chance opportunities for King. If they didn't score, again, it took another 20, 30 seconds off the clock, 20 seconds, I guess, off the clock. But there were 99 rebounds in that game. There were a lot of missed shots. 99 combined rebounds. It's a lot. My shoulders hurt thinking about going up for that many rebounds. Um I think we've seen the dichotomy of this team early in the season already. We, we have seen the, the, the split, right? You've seen when the shots fall, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun, and the ball's going to move, and the, the, the team's going to be active, and the more shots fall, the more things start to snowball a little bit. Then what happens when the shots don't fall? Well, sometimes they're just going to all not go in at the same time, kind of, sort of. That's what happened on Monday against King. We saw the, the other side of that spectrum against um, UVA Wise. Against UVA Wise in the exhibition, where all the shots were going in. They got every look that they wanted. They were knocking them down. Last night, I thought they got most of the looks they were wanting and didn't deliver when the shots needed to go in. That there were some. There were definitely some open threes that didn't go. Jaden Seymour had a tough night from beyond the arc. It's a tough shooting night in general for him. Uh, Justice Smith, I don't think, had a particularly great shooting night. And those two guys are going to be very important for, for the Bucks offensively this season. So um, if, if they're going to go as those guys go, then especially early in the year, as things get dialed in and everybody gets more comfortable with the timing and rhythm of what this looks like in a live game situation, yeah, there's going to be some times where the shots just don't fall and there's going to be some tough offensive nights. I was impressed when the shots weren't going. Eventually, Justice Smith went to the rim. He's a big, strong guy. He got nine free throw attempts. I would love to see nine to ten attempts out of him every night because, one, he's either going to score from there, have an end-to-one opportunity. He went six of nine from the line. 
you know, he was a little bit, I think he was right at 70% last year, so that's kind of where he was. But Jaden Seymour, who got off to a horrific start at the free throw line last year and shot nearly 70% into the year, got to line and was 5 of 6. So, again, very impressed what they were able to do that. The three didn't fall. Uh, you mentioned Seymour 0 for 5. Uh, Justice 1 for 3. Again, I like him taking a couple of threes a game. I would love to see him do what he did, which was get to the rim and either score or get to the free throw line. So, But you look at Seymour, I mean, his fifth career double-double. He led the team in rebounds with 14, led the team in assists with 4, and third on team in scoring with 11 points. I know he would like to have the 3 for 11 a little better shooting the ball, but getting to the free throw line um, I thought was great, and I thought the freshmen that they were high on kind of looked like freshmen in the game. Uh, Makai Johnson and Gabe Sisk, I think they're, you know, it was good to see a little bit different scenario. Uh, again, and, and I thought Coach uh, Brooks Savage made a good comment, like, hey, winning another 40-point game would have been fool's gold and probably would have hurt us in the long run. Now, you know, I don't know if that's him spinning it because of the way they played. I don't think it is. I think, you know, we knew, and again, Keith, many have gone down there and we've seen him shoot. They're a streaky team. They're going to be streaky. So when the shots don't fall, how do you combat that, right? Defense and rebounding. Well, they did it with defense, not so much with rebounding. They did later in the game. But I think, you know, this is one of those where you can cut on the film and go, hey, guys, you felt really good, and you're dancing and, and doing the fake bow and arrows and all these threes and stuff in this game. But look right here. You're getting beat up on the glass. And, oh, by the way, we're going to play a pretty decent team that, that at least for a half, uh, played fairly well against an ACC team, and we're going to go into their house, who we beat last year on a neutral floor. They're pretty sure they want to get us this year. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, I, I definitely think the young guys look like young guys. I appreciate Makai Johnson being willing to pull the trigger on the three. Um, certainly, I, I think the, the, the principle of this offensive system is if you have an open look, take it. Don't worry about using the whole shot clock. Don't worry about having to oh, run the offense. Everybody touches the ball, blah, blah. If you get a look early in the shot clock, eight seconds in, ten seconds in, you are free to pull the trigger on that shot. And Makai Johnson took advantage of that, but he couldn't get the shots to fall. I, I think that's going to be okay, though. I, I, I want him to keep shooting. I want him to be aggressive. Uh, you want the freshman to not play with fear or be tentative. Uh, I thought – got his looks, he was not afraid. He was not tentative. Same for Sisk, although Sisk got caught in a couple of bad situations. He got trapped on the baseline a couple of times, on the sideline, down in the corner, uh, off a couple inbound plays or some cross-court pass. It, it, it was not the cleanest night for him, but those two guys, I think, are going to grow out of that. And you're right, and I said this to Jaden Seymour, who was uh, bleeding from his right hand when he came over for the post-game interview. I told him, I said, and, and he agreed with me. He said, it's better that this happens now. It's better that this game happens now and that you have a chance to learn from in front where you win a basketball game. Better to have this happen in November than have it happen in January and say, uh-oh, how do we recalibrate while conference teams are breathing down our necks and beating down our door and getting to the rim whenever they want against us? So uh, it would be fun to see. Uh, you know, obviously the local product out of uh, Gate City, Zach Irvin still at Elon, led the team in scoring against Wake Forest. He's a six-year guy, ETSU, against the old Southern Conference foe. And you played him last year, we'll play him this year. They hadn't played since 2005, uh, back when Elon and ETSU were both in the Southern Conference. So this will be the first trip 
for the Bucks uh, to Guilford County, as you said. That game will be 7 o'clock, 6.30 pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network on Thursday. Kentucky, just a couple of starters back, one coming off an ACL, a couple of transfers. Uh, Again, it's interesting because almost the entire coaching staff of former players at Tennessee, they got a Tennessee transfer uh, in Brooklyn Miles. Now, she's from Kentucky and won Miss Basketball in Kentucky, but she transfers back in. You mentioned the portal, kind of take it the way. They did get a couple in, Tennessee, South Carolina, LSU, Oregon. But in the same token, again, just two starters and one coming off an ACL that only played a few games last year. So this will be a, almost a, a brand-new starting lineup for Kentucky. Will ETSU be able to take advantage, especially early? Because that's the one thing talking to Coach uh, Brendan McBrown recently. You know, they got off uh, – well, I guess we can't talk about close scrimmage. Um, uh, 
but the other, I guess I had two cold scrambles. Uh, slow starts. They're going to try to avoid a slow start. How's that? How about, how about I just yeah. say that? <laughs> had some slow starts uh, in those, and if you're going to do that, um, it's not going to be a good omen whenever you play at a Power 5 school, right? No, no matter where they rank in the, the, the rankings there, you cannot get behind the eight ball that early. So I know that's one thing that Brendan Mike Brown was talking about was they want to get off to a quick start. Will it help the fact they got the three games there? They play with Journey McDaniel going to go lights out, right? We we gave Dr. Sander a, a sort of a, a joke this morning because well, he yeah, was on it. Doc, Doc gave uh, gave Journey the uh, the old coaching tips. They, he helped clean up her three point shot uh, or jump shot last year during the WBI, and then the, the day after he gave her those pointers, she uh, hit seven threes in the game and really tied the school record. So, uh, yeah, you know that's. I think that worked out for her, and she goes back into that gym where they had some success uh, last year and their last spring. Could be a fun environment. For her. Journey McDaniel's a breakout player, I think for sure, for ETSU this season. I am very excited for Brecken Snotherly to get started uh, with the Bucks as well. I think both of those are going to be really, really good for ETSU, and, and you're going to see uh, some good things from the, the veterans. You know, Kendall Foley. Nene Brown, Free Beatty, he's actually a fifth-year college player. It has fit into this program setup, that fit into this team setup like a glove. Courtney Moore is going to shoot a ton and can get to the rim a little bit as well. Might be tougher against a team that's got this much length on the perimeter as Kentucky does, but she can explode to the basket and will against uh, a peer competition in the SoCon. And Ja'Kai Davis, I mean, J-Bo is kind of hit right now in the paint for the Bucks. Downing and, and Puckett, um, and uh, they're they're hopeful that you know, JJ Rufus Milner, who can who has been still coming back from a knee injury she suffered in January, and uh, I know she's had some issues with her shoulder as well that were uh, before the you know, kind of predated the knee injury, uh, and is trying to get herself back to competition shape. Um, they're hopeful that she'll be able to contribute on the floor at some point this season, but at the very least able to, to help rally this team off the floor because she was the reason that they won. When, she, wasn't, she wasn't on the floor when Sarah Thompson hit three threes in 90 seconds or when Kendall Foley went off in the fourth quarter, but she's the reason they won that Furman game. Yeah, on the road, after the injury, you know, gives the big speech in the locker room, team is fired up, and they're ready to go back out there and do their thing, uh, and, and they go beat Furman. Because Jayla Rufus Milner gave them the, the, the fire that they needed and, and the accountability that they needed. And she's still, uh, I think, more than respect, more than sufficiently respected in that locker room to be able to do that again. So ETSU does have a win in the series. Don Hellman on the call back in 2008. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 59-50. Uh, yeah. 59-50. I almost gave the wrong score. 59-50. I, I remember that one. Yeah, that was the sad, no. Second title year? Second of three. Let's see. 708. Yes, yes, second one. So it was the second. Yeah. Uh, he made me do math there. I was, I was, I was, uh, I it was 2010, but it was December 08, so that's why I was trying to do the math. I knew it was 8, 9, 10, but which year was it? The second right, right, year. So right, that's right, why I was doing the math. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I do vividly remember for the third straight Work, year. Worked the studio, and apparently when. Uh, the final horn hit, and this is back when we were over in the, the pickle in the basement. 
uh, I think I screamed in the, the mic during the break, how you like them apples, and I screamed so loud that it bled over the commercials because people were in the early stages of texting or sending me messages like, laugh out loud, we heard you yell, <laughs> like, how about them apples through the commercial? And I'm like, oh, the mic was off. So then I learned, do not scream loudly into that microphone down there because it may bleed over uh, the commercial. It, it might still go in. Over yeah. the Luckily, air. I didn't hear anything else because, you know. Luckily, you didn't sing any Pearl Jam. <laughs> That's a classic inside joke. Yeah. All right. All right, let's talk a little uh, ETSU men's basketball. Uh, football. Oh, football. football. We're talking football. Yeah, football, 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 football. No, we, we just do that so that you can mark the time. That's exactly what I'm saying. All right, uh, Buccaneer football. <sighs> had a chance at it against VMI. Had a chance. Uh, had a chance. Four plays inside the ten at the end. Couldn't score. Technically, they had eight plays inside the six uh, because they had – on a previous drive, they were held out, if you remember. Oh, yeah. So, if you look at it, they uh, there were two different times uh, that who, who knows what could have been what, but certainly um, not being able to punch it in uh, fourth and a couple feet on one possession and then four chances from the six uh, as time expired on the last play to, to try to at least give an opportunity to tie or go for two or whatever they were going to do at that point. Um, Trey Foster was unbelievable. Uh, oh, it was incredible. I, you know, 28. Touches 172 yards and a score. That doesn't count. He was also the leading receiver. Don't, don't five catches. Don't that's right. him his receiving yards. Yeah, and, and it was instrumental in getting down the field. Now he did. He was no Tim Stay school with a one-handed grab, but he did make a couple of grabs uh, to move the chains and, and to get out of bounds and, and help ETSU get down the field. And then of course the Stay school one-handed grab that kind of set up the dramatics of uh, the last four plays. And then uh, you know we've talked about him a lot. Tory Lambert. He impresses. It's just they, they didn't want to. You know, you get the four games. This was his third of four, but seven carries, 90 yards, according, uh, of course, the 64-yarder in which, you know, he breaks a tackle and then just not just shows his power. I mean, that's a guy that likes to run in between the tackles. Sometimes he likes to run over people. Sometimes he's a little shifty. That time he uh, – a little bit of power and speed. You know, he was able to get a guy moving the linebacker and overrun the play. He tried to come back. He ran power through it. And then certainly was able to pick him up, put him down, and, and the defensive backs thought for a second they're going to be able to track him down. He kind of did a head turn about 15 yards to go and hit a different gear, and was able to go. But uh, you know, ETSU. I mean, if you said before the game, rush for 286 yards. I, I don't. You know, it'd be tough to imagine losing the game. But that three turnovers they were costly. Foster had one. Guy Ardetz had a fumble. Then the interception. I think they were 10 points off that turnover by BMI and. Yeah. And then the, then the penalties. I mean, the backbreaker oh. really was the Adrian Johnson jumping offside on the punt. The defense had gotten off the field. Five yards gave him a first down, and they go down the field and score a touchdown. If that doesn't happen, just that one little thing, if Adrian Johnson just holds his spot, looking at the football, waiting for the snap, just delays his late getting off instead of early getting off, ETSU probably wins that football game. And you hate to pinpoint it down to one moment, and there are several moments you can pinpoint. You know, Chris Hope had an unsportsmanlike penalty, and that put uh, BMI farther down the field on a drive where they were already moving the ball a little bit, and it just ended up putting them in plus territory and on, on their way to a touchdown. Um, ETSU had a fumble. It was really just a great play by BMI's defense when Guyernets got caught out in the open, and he got a big open field hit. The 
second guy comes in with a shoulder, pops the ball loose, and, and gets it. Um, that set up a field goal. You know, the, the uh, uh, Ray Coney tips the ball up in the air, and it seems yeah. to stay up in the air forever. Oh. Zach West trips and falls running to the ball. Oh, now, man. again, he had to change direction, but in the same token, that's another ball that, you know, it's a, not quite a 50-50, but it's up there. And if you just make that grab with four minutes to go, you're in plus territory. Sheldon Arnold drops an interception halfway to the ground in the red zone, inside the five-yard line. That was impressive because he knew – I'd actually seen them run that several times. And so as they were doing that, I think I yelled out during – I said, hey, they're going to throw to Twombly. They're going to, you know, slant with Twombly in the flat. Sheldon Arnold had the play scouted so well, he overran it and had to try to stop that's the funny thing is uh, Robert on the silence says, you know, if he's a half step late, he would have still been early, but he would have caught it and went 90-some yards the other way. But yep. he was so much of a study of that play that he actually overran it, and that's why he stopped and had to kind of you know, reach behind him to intercept the pass because really, he had you talk about students of the game, and I just, I just want, to, I want to brag on Sheldon Arnold here. Sheldon Arnold is the ultimate student of the game. I have never seen anyone that goes and watches film of other guys in his conference at his position in the offseason and tries to understand what they do better so that he himself can get better, can implement things that they're doing to make himself a better football player. Uh, This guy is an extremely diligent student of film, student of game planning, trying to understand what the other team is doing so that he can, you know, Sometimes he needs to take risks to make plays. You know, defense is not always about, well, if you're in the right spot, you make the play. Sometimes if you're in the right spot, you get your butt kicked because the the offense is designed to exploit you being in the right spot. It's based on you being in the right spot. You have to know when to be able to break off your assignment, take a risk, and make a play. Arnold did it uh, with the pick six against Wofford, and ETSU probably won the football game because of that on, on the very first drive of the game. So – I look at Sheldon Arnold and I say, this guy is an incredible student. He's an incredible leader. Uh, this is, like, if you, you want to talk about a guy, like a core guy for this ETSU football team, not just this season but beyond, uh, Sheldon Arnold is somebody that I'm putting a star and I'm circling and I'm underlining three, four times, number five on defense because of everything that he does, the work he puts in, make himself as good as he can be. And he, he forced a fumble and recovered it. And the, inside the, the uh, VMI end of the field set up the Bucks offense with a red zone possession. I was honestly kind of surprised that the ball came right to him, it seemed like, when he ripped it out. But just incredible playmaking ability for Sheldon Arnold. And the interception where he ran about two football fields. Yeah. And just got tired at some point, it looked like. <laughs> I got tired calling it, so I know he was tired running. Oh, but Yeah. Just he, he played. ETSU on the road at Western Carolina. That'll be Saturday on Veterans Day, 1 o'clock, 11.30 pregame show, and we'll have that for you, I guess, uh, Thursday. We'll do Thursday's podcast. We'll do a quick preview of Elon. We'll talk ETSU football. We'll take a look at, uh, what is it, the old pick six? Yeah. How do we do? How did I, do? I don't I think do? it went well because we agreed on too many teams. Oh. The one we disagreed on, um, I got wrong. 
Oh, I like that. Yeah, well, I wasn't shocked because I, well, you remember I flipped at Grill Talk. By the way, how mad was I that I didn't pick Army and I did on Grill Talk as my upset special yeah. and didn't take him, but I wore out Matt Magadhi with several uh, gifts and memes uh, about Army. Army has Holy Cross this week. Holy Cross needs to win that game to really get back in the playoff conversation. Western Carolina, the playoff conversation. We'll talk about them, and we'll talk about the Elon Phoenix on the Thursday edition of Jay and Keen on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Army beat Air Force. <laughs> 